welcome to the Shushbox Podcast, a safe space for self-expression, healing, and empowerment. Hosted by me, Sunita, founder of Shushbox, the wellness platform supporting survivors of sexual trauma. Hello, lovely listeners. We're back again for another episode of the Shushbox Podcast. Today, we are talking about queer survivors, the queer community, and some of the challenges this community faces. I'm joined by the wonderful Annie Wade-Smith, who is an LGBT, young persons and children's independent sexual violence advocate. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you've got any questions, you can reach us on hello at shushbox.com. Thank you so much for joining the Shushbox podcast. Like I was just saying, I'm really happy to be connected. Um, I've been following you for a while. And um, yeah, I'm really a big supporter of the work that you're doing. And really honored to have you here. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. (laughs) Yeah, so I thought we could kick things off um, by you maybe giving yourself a little introduction and then going into the topic of conversation, which is going to be talking about queer survivors and some of the challenges um, being faced within this area. Um, Yes. So my name's Annie. My pronouns are they and she. I've worked with, um, I've worked in the mental health sector for about uh, actually six six or seven years now. And I've worked with survivors um, for a chunk of that. Um, And obviously I'm queer and a lot of my like um, online work is about like queer self-acceptance, body acceptance, sex positivity, um, understanding identity. And then, yeah, I've, I've sort of merged all of those areas and I'm now uh my title's very long but it's an LGBT young persons and children's independent sexual violence advocate so I, I support queer survivors from about age 12 right up to 30 either if they have reported through to support them through the criminal justice process to reduce trauma re-traumatization from the process um or if they don't want to report I kind of help them figure out what I can help them find therapy or groups or whatever they want to do. For some of them, it's like activism, whatever a sense of justice is for them. But yeah, I know we're going to talk more about why that job exists for um, queer people in, in just a second. Amazing. No, thank you so much for the introduction. And yeah, gosh, it's um, so you're working. Do you work in schools um, with some of the younger people? Um, yeah, so it's a mix. Most of our work's in London, but we also do national work. Sometimes my clients are in schools um sometimes it's like just digital and you know they're like con- I can contact them when they're in their home um sometimes I like take like meet them maybe at college or whatever or, or we'll just like just go for a coffee um so it's kind of a bit of a mix of everything really yeah nice and um, okay so we're going to get straight into it so what um challenges do you think uh, queer survivors are actually facing when coming forward obviously talking about sexual violence for anybody is a really uncomfortable conversation sadly within society um mm. so what do you think challenges are present specifically for queer survivors Okay, so it's like, where do I begin? Because there's so many. So like you said, it's on top of every other challenge that a survivor might have. Um, But for queer survivors specifically, um, it's uh, not being believed even more so. Um, There's a lot of stereotypes that like, for example, uh, women can't be perpetrators. And if you're in a female-female relationship, um, there's a lot of stigma around, well, you know, you haven't been sexually assaulted because that's another one like you're lesbians that doesn't happen um there's a lot of kind of myths and stereotypes that sexual violence doesn't happen within the queer community 
Um, also, a lot of survivors might not actually be publicly out. Um, and so to come forward might mean they now have to come out to their family or be just out to public services as well. There's also the kind of fact that certain sexualities aren't as recognised. So um, we do see a lot of um, asexual survivors. We actually define certain types of sexual violence towards the queer community as a conversion practice. Um, often sexual violence will be used as a tool to try and uh, punish someone for the sexuality or try and change their sexuality or just kind of disregard it. So I've had a lot of um, cases where someone's uh, ace and they have a uh, um, they're female and they have a boyfriend and the boyfriend's gonna like you know just sort of like coerce them um to kind of go like asexuality is not a thing so a lot of survivors then don't want to come forward because mm. as well the police are not going to understand what asexuality is there's so many different things as being misgendered throughout the whole process there's the kind of like invasive if they go for a forensic and they're trans there's all of those like invasive levels but there's also just the huge impact, the amount of shame, obviously, that comes with sexual violence, adding on, like, your queerness, you might not feel valid, you might not feel valid in your gender identity, um, if, you know, to do with however you were assaulted, or you might feel invalidated if, you know, you're a lesbian and you've had a male perpetrator, it's all of those different things. So, yeah, kind of our work is to try and unpack some of it and see what the challenges are for each survivor, because obviously it's just so diverse. Wow. Yeah, it's so diverse for everybody, like you say. So, I mean, what do you think? I mean, it's interesting that you pointed out the police there, that the police wouldn't even understand, you know, what asexuality is. That's it. A whole topic of conversation I feel we could go into. So what do you think as a society we can be doing to support not only survivors, but queer survivors? As you say, there's so many um, different areas that people just aren't aware of, especially mm. within these um, institutions that are meant to be supporting survivors that aren't already supporting survivors, if you get me. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean... A lot of the organisations that support survivors are women and girls focused. And, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to say that there isn't a place for that because that's been a lot of my work. Um, but there also has to be more safe spaces and, and safe havens for queer survivors and whatever that kind of looks like, because survivors aren't just women and girls. There aren't a lot of spaces that kind of like recognise gay men, you know, and there are a lot of gay male survivors out there. Um, I think people can look at the world in a very like binary lens and, and heteronormative lens and they go, okay, there's women and girls and then there's men. And like, and that's kind of like in the gender violence sector, that's kind of like how it's still seen. And it's kind of seen like, you know, male perpetrators and, and female survivors and like, that's it. But, you know, we, we've got non-binary survivors, where are they meant to sit? We've got trans survivors that actually in some safe spaces and I'm using that with inverted commas uh for the listeners um there's no space for them because some services exclude trans women for example so um as well a lot of our work is like doing advocacy and it's really important for the survivors community to be open and accepting to all survivors um but also on a societal level for us to just break down some of those like I guess stereotypes but but, you know, we kind of have our view of what who a survivor is. Mm -hmm. Survivors in all shapes and, and sizes and, and queer survivors need 
need a space too. There just aren't enough services kind of doing that right now. Absolutely. And I think that can go on to our next kind of point, which is, do you think, I mean, there is clearly an underrepresentation of uh, queer or even minority groups within the statistics. So those mm-hmm. statistics that we see about uh, survivors of sexual trauma is heavily focused, I would say, on women. But do you think there is an under, underrepresentation? Yeah, there is definitely underrepresentation. Um, and, and, you know, it's that kind of thing as well is our statistics are to do with who's reported and who's most likely to report it. It's the people with the most privilege because it's more accessible to them. They're not afraid of the police. Uh, well, or not as afraid. It might be seen as like more somehow more socially acceptable to get help um, or to be a survivor in their community. So we're really having skewed statistics because a lot of people just will never report. Um, and I think that the way we gather stats that way just needs to change. Mm-hmm. But there's also um, a large amount of chems, so sort of like chems party within parties within the queer community. There's actually a whole documentary on it of like how hospitals were taking in patients that had clearly like sort of overdosed on uh, chems at chems parties. Mm-hmm. And the hospital were just ticking this one box that didn't actually say what had happened to them. And yeah. so it's this kind of example of like, if there isn't the tick box to say, oh, this is a queer survivor, or this is a survivor that's come from a chems party, how, how are we going to ever like know that it's happening? It's not really people's fault that they don't know it exists. I guess you don't know it exists until you, you know, I know it exists so much because um within the community queer community and also working on this level uh, I just think it was like there's so many hidden survivors like say from different marginalized groups um like hidden secret survivors basically yeah yeah I was gonna say like for those listeners who might not know what a chems party is like what what exactly is that um so it would be a sex party where um different types of drugs are taken if you want to have a look into it if you just look up chem sex um but it might be g or all sorts of different substances to be honest but it's mostly gay men but you know there's there's mixed ones too but um it's a huge in terms of sexual violence they're a huge issue um for queer like in terms of queer survivors because there's a lot there's a lot of drugs being taken the cops have like consent boundaries now you know you can't consent if you're really high there's a drug they take that you pass out quite often um and there's also a lot of people spiking as well Mm. um so that's what i mean about the hospital admissions a lot of people getting spiked but the hospital aren't recording what with so it just goes down as a spiking but actually Mm. we need to be capturing that to take it seriously it's it's just not taken seriously um, I mean, yeah. I guess that kind of goes into the saying of were you drink the question of were you drinking? Like you say, is consent present? Mm-hmm. Is the main question. No, you can't be given consent, even if you're in these um, parties. Like you say, that that's fine for you to be there. It doesn't mean that um, you're open t- to sexual violence. Yeah, yeah, and and exactly that's like it's very much the kind of like that stereotype of like sexual uh, promiscuity and stuff has always been used to shit to shame the queer community um and, and you know how gay gay sex is still so like taboo and like stigmatized mm. and and the same thing it's it's then added to that stereotype of yeah well were you having drugs um or well why were you at a sex party then you know and it's like 
people can't come forward and tell their story because they know that people are just going to uh, shame them and go, well, mm. you, you must have you must have consented then because you were there. Um, yeah, I think you're right there. It's like the media over-sexualizes the community, mm. would you say? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, we don't have much representation and then the representation we do have is like hypersexualized, um, or it's, you know, just in porn. I know growing up that was like the only ever like female queer sex I'd ever seen was like in porn. And then even the films that we have are like very it's very specific type of representation and it's usually mm-hmm. written by men. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's going into it <laughs> you're so right. I think it's good to have these types of conversations so people do understand though, like you say, the there are so many more challenges and block it blockages. It's it's people coming forward and another layer of shame, like you're saying, that society is putting on people when it's already There's so much shame already. There's so much shame yeah. already and it's already a horrible experience, you know, for mm. any survivor to go through these experiences. It's not a nice experience to go through these experiences. So that mm. added level of shame is what puts people in a in an uncomfortable position to even come forward and affirm themselves as survivors to then go on and find the way to heal. Because, you know, what we want to do is when we've gone through these experiences, yes, it's happening. People need to acknowledge that it's happening, but then people need to heal as well. People need to get on that journey and be able to be able to go on a route to feel better within yourself. You have to be able to talk about these things. Yeah. And, and, and if you do report often, you can't really do that healing process until the sort of whole criminal justice process is done because like you can't access full therapy until court's finished um so you kind of go on this really like long and traumatizing journey and that's why it's so frustrating when people say oh but people lie no you would never you just like people who say that have have never even seen or understood how awful the process is for survivors after they've been through something horrific i mean i was having a conversation with another survivor last week and um she was saying that when you're speaking with other survivors, there's, a, there's that kind of like unsaid thing of like, I see you and you see me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's nice to not have to be in defense mode as a survivor. And you can just talk about your experiences without having to think about being judged or the shame or the defense mechanism. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of people coming forward, I think there's that the quote of rape is the only crime where the victim becomes the accused. Mm, yeah. The way the way the way that like evidence is collected, the way that you know the whole process works. I'm literally it's my job, and I'm well, it's not my job to collect the evidence. It's my job to support people on that journey, and I'm just blagged all the time. I'm like, how is it still? How is this still the way we do it? Because it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and like you say, you know the the survivor ends up being the one who's kind of like feeling interrogated i'm always having to remind survivors by the way this is not to you're not this is this meeting is not to you're not in trouble you're not the you know didn't didn't do the crime here and i'm like okay okay and you go in and it still feel like the way they're spoken to it still feels like everyone's trying to prove them guilty of lying but you're right is that you can kind of just relax around another survivor because you're just like okay you get it and I think even though I don't disclose to my clients that I am a survivor as well I think they just they can feel it because of the way I go I like I I hear you I understand um all my responses to things I think you know you don't have to say it people kind of can tell yeah I mean in the work that you're doing then I mean it is fantastic obviously going into this area providing these resources and really understanding like the community what are some of the key um 
positives, I guess, that you could say that you found working within this space? Um, well, I mean, a huge, a huge positive is being able to do such like specific and um, expert work. The best research is the voices of survivors. Um, and we definitely like put that, we're like, we were able to put the survivor at the heart of what, what, what work we do with them. So, um, we're fully person centered. Um, we work with whatever works for them. I often do like a piece of work and, and ask them what, what just, what does justice look like for you? Like what would be any form of, if there can be any sort of justice, what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Cause I think as well, like a society, we see justice as like someone being in prison when actually when you ask a survivor, they often don't want that, mm. you know, they don't want, this is, this is people it might be someone in their family it might be someone that they they were in love with it might be one of their friends like they don't want harm to come to that person they want to protect others Mm. and um they just want to heal and move on so I think that being able to work in a person-centered way like especially for queer people just works perfectly because no one's forced to do anything and and having a having a model that is like so we're we're by and for queer people so we're all queer and I think as well, just that like same with the, you know, when you just feel relaxed around another survivor, when when a queer person's with a queer person, it's like, I'm I'm gonna affirm you. And mm. we're really able to like sometimes I'll just say, I believe you, by the way, like you are believed. And I think even though someone's heard from their friend or their parent that they believed to hear from a service that they believed, I think is quite a big just takes a big weight off it. It's like, oh, like services do believe me even if the police maybe didn't um I think that's a really positive thing and and I don't know sometimes I just feel a shift in my work with survivors as soon as they've heard they're believed or Mm -hmm. as soon as they're kind of like seen in their queerness and as a survivor we try and (laughs) we try our best to also like educate the police so you know putting things together around pronouns it's just really basics you know please don't ask him basic questions please like take take time and just being able to like be be with the survivor um and say to them you know if you need a break during this meeting with police like I'll be here um and we can talk about anything I think those things just really you can see the huge impact and and uh, it makes me sad to think people go through the process alone. So what services do you exactly provide? You can help somebody like you were saying, find if they want to report, you would help them with the reporting process. Yeah. If they didn't want to report, you would help them find like different types of healing. What services do, do you provide? Um, so we definitely meet a client where they're at. So they might have already reported mm-hmm. um, and now they just want support. Like, so I'll like attend interviews with them. Um, obviously, I don't go into the route. Oh, it's not obvious, actually. <laughs> We're not allowed to hear certain details about what's happened to them because then that can affect their case mm. in the courts. So um, it's kind of like hand-holding, um, but also empowering empowering a survivor to make choices for themselves. So a lot of mine is, my role is to provide information and, and support people in their decision-making. Um, so that's if they've already reported. There are some that we come across that have already reported, have had a no further action from the police and just want like, they just want to figure out what happened. Like, why me? Um, what's next? 
like you said, we can help them find therapy. Sometimes you just talk to them about trauma impact and look at like coping mechanisms. Sometimes it's like doing work on healthy relationships, boundaries, um, because for a lot of queer survivors, it's like once this has happened to them, they're either unsure about their identity anymore, or especially if it was a con- like a conversion practice, like well maybe they were right maybe I'm the wrong one so we kind of like can do some like identity work as well about like building them back up like you know you are who you are um and what happens to you is wrong Uh, and then we also do yeah if they've not reported yet I can support them in reporting but also there are some so for example people who don't um who are asylum seekers often are worried about affecting um their options so we can help them like to do anonymous reporting too. So like all sorts of options really. Yeah. It's good that you do have those different options. And like you were saying right at the beginning, you know, you might have those survivors, like you say, who might not be out to their friends and family. So what would you have advice around those types of survivors as well on like how to come forward or how to report? Well, I mean, it's not all about reporting, like we just said, but even just, you know, getting that help. I think for those survivors, it's about what feels right for you. So um, there's certainly online communities that will hear you and listen to you and not judge you. You don't have to come out like if you're not ready to, because having to come out because you've been assaulted is like, no one wants to come out like that. That's kind of been like forced, you know, Mm. being outed basically. There's online communities that can, you know, provide like, support and like be with you like the queer community is always here for you um even if you're not out you're so valid we see you um not everyone has to be out and if you do want to access a service we're not going to out you we we make sure we we work very carefully so if we do have to work with say they wanted us to have a phone call with the parents which wouldn't usually happen but say they did then we check in with them what name do you use with your family what do they know um, and we can kind of keep that confidential yeah okay so I think yeah we've gone through quite a few <laughs> different questions there I mean I know you touched on it earlier that you've also had um, your own experience um, you know with sexual trauma sexual violence what would you say has been um, has helped you the most on your healing journey um, I think for me it's been connecting with other survivors um, you often don't know who around you is also a survivor because people are so ashamed that they're not really open about it. Um, so connecting with other survivors, people that I didn't necessarily know beforehand, just helped me like believe myself because you do just start of like, you internalise the shame, you victim blame yourself. Um, so yeah, connecting with others really helped me like stop blaming myself. Also, yeah, just activism, doing the work I do, like trying to, help others feel empowered trying to make people sort of aware of what's okay and not okay supporting people to feel like sexually confident as well um and to know their boundaries I just think has helped me learn what you know because your boundaries are bound to change all the time it's helped me like figure out what my boundaries are as well and I think as well people would probably think my work's really triggering. Um, sometimes it is, but actually I'm not often triggered at work because I'm just, I'm, I'm in work mode and I'm like able to kind of like have my little survivor hat on somewhere, but actually I'm here as a professional. So it doesn't, 
there's lots of strategies that you can do around like visualizations and stuff you can do to protect yourself um so if anyone's listening they want to have a look at visualizations there's quite a lot um online amazing and just to wrap it up then so where can people find out more about you and if they wanted to get in touch where can they find you um so the easiest place to find me is probably instagram i'm just annie wade smith i always stay on my page as well i'm not i'm not a counseling service but if you did want to ask me about um where you could get some support i'm always happy to signpost um and on my page as well there's the, there's a highlight called need support question mark and there's some different services on there yeah amazing thank you so much Annie. it was really lovely connecting is there anything else you want to add for the listeners before we say goodbye <laughs> No, I just want to say you are valid in in whoever you are. Um, and yeah, thank you for listening to us today. It's like really important for me to like represent other queer survivors and have us seen and heard. So thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information, head to www.shushbox.com. We see you, we hear you, we believe you.